Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, welcome to Sibylline Podcast series. I'm Guo Yu, lead analyst of Asia Pacific. The past few days have seen tensions across the Taiwan Strait being ratcheted up further as Beijing and Taipei marked their respective national days. There's been record number of Chinese warplanes incurring into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, while Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen again defended the island's de facto status as a democratic sovereign nation. Beijing's increased political and economic pressure, as well as military posturing on Taipei placed against the backdrop of intensifying China-US rivalry, for which Taiwan remains a key point of contention in bilateral relations. Joining me this week are Adam Mordechai and Jack Broom, both analysts at the Asia-Pacific deck here at Sipline. Together, we will discuss the latest situation concerning Taiwan, and how such persistent cross-strait tensions may evolve in the coming year, assessing possible future flashpoints as well as the potential business implications. Jack, if I may start with you. As we know, Taiwan celebrated the 110th anniversary of the foundation of the Republic of China, Taiwan's official name. President Tsai has again made a keynote speech during the event, marking the occasion, saying, the Taiwan's being democratic and sovereign nations and rejecting any sense of Taipei or Beijing being subordinate to one another. So what are the overriding public perception towards Beijing assertiveness? And how have the Taiwanese electorate taken President Tsai's cross-strait policy so far? Uh, yeah, I think the perception has changed markedly over the last year or two, really. Taiwanese people, I mean, they've obviously lived with this issue for 70 more years, and so they've always shown a, a great amount of patience towards it. And of course, they've been through, um, you know, difficult eras of the two missile crises. But definitely, there's been a notable shift in perception over the last two years, really since Xi Jinping's term and uh, China became more assertive. I think that the rapid shift in the status quo has wired a lot of Taiwanese people. The poaching of Taiwanese talent, particularly when it was either the year before or two years ago when China released its 31 measures in a bid to attract Taiwanese business towards China. And remember, there's already over a million Taiwanese people working and living in, in China. However, this time, I think it showed that it failed. The 31 measures failed to get much traction. A lot of, particularly in the last year, a lot of Taiwanese businesses have started to move back to Taiwan, even though sometimes it may not be economically more profitable. Particularly in the last year or two, with these incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, with the, for instance, sending ships, China has sent its uh, aircraft carrier, the Liaoning, uh, through the Taiwanese Strait, with the large live fire naval exercises taking place in and around Taiwan, there's a, a real sense of siege mentality building. And I think that's why Taiwan has been more daring in the way it's fought back against China. Some of the comments from the government, particularly, for instance, this time, how she responded to the latest incursion, which was the largest incursion ever, was much more forceful language than is usually the, the case for the government. 
they're definitely willing to take the risks. And of course, one of the largest risks when Trump first took office, Tiny Wen supposedly initiating the call between them and then the relationship really building from there and then going on into the Biden administration. I think their patience is wearing thin. And that's the general overall feeling there. And they're willing now to respond in kind to China. That's a very interesting point. You know, that kind of uh, resonated in, in Chai's speech about, you know, it seems to suggest, you know, Beijing and Taipei should be on equal footing and rejecting any sort of notion of annexation of Taiwan by Beijing in any way, sort of form. And also, you mentioned about, you know, the impact already have on Taiwanese business have a significant presence in, in mainland China, uh, which will cover, you know, such uh, implications uh, later on. But I think from China's perspective, the way I'm watching this is, you know, China have marked the founding of the PRC on the 1st of October. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of uh, historic contest in that, you know, the, that's the time when the Chinese Communist Party defeated the nationalist Kuomintang and led to the proclamation of the PRC and the separation of Taiwan from the mainland. So, so that, that was marked with a big muscle flexing ministry activity, as you mentioned, the warplane incursions. But there's also been economic coercions being imposed on Taiwan. For example, ban on Taiwanese imports, the latest being wax and sugar apples, not to mention China's continuous isolation on the national stage on Taiwan and try to basically picking off what left countries that has official diplomatic relations with Taiwan and try to convince them to switch allegiance sometimes through economic leverage as well. So there's a few sort of elements in that, but also interesting to know is that Xi Jinping's speech marking the 1911 revolutions that, you know, led to the founding of the Republic of China sounded less belligerent than previous occasions, even though he said about the reunification must be fulfilled, but he emphasized is obviously the preferable action will be through peaceful means and under the one China and two systems framework. And to that, you know, obviously Tsai Ing-wen responded in opposition and saying, as you mentioned, Taiwanese public, they generally do not accept such proposal. So the way I see it, Beijing will continue to exert pressure on the DPP region, seeing it as a force for Taiwan independence. And they will do so through show of force, as we've seen for the IZ incursion economic coercion and diplomatic isolation. But they, such tactics will not be one-dimensional. It will likely be a mixture of hardline rhetoric stroked together with some occasional conciliatory tokens in a bid to keep policymakers in Taipei and indeed in Washington, not, let's not forget, but you know, US play an important part in this on their toes regarding you know, China's plans and in, intentions with Taiwan. So. Looking ahead for the next, say, 12 to 15 months, Aidan, can you highlight some key events that could potentially further dry up tensions across the Taiwan Strait? There's a number of events coming up that could either lead to increase in tensions or, or maybe even a temporary uh, easing or a lull in such tensions. Uh, obviously, in February next year, we have Beijing 2022 uh, Winter Olympic Games. I imagine during that period, at least, Beijing will want to avoid that sort of controversy, uh, those sort of headlines, and 
focus our attention on on their ability to to organize a, an international event that obviously we watch around the world uh, such as winter olympics at least but at the same time i, I don't think that sort of uh, avoidance of controversy there will, will last particularly long just like we had a number of military maneuvers simultaneous with national day holiday of a week we have the anniversaries of the founding of the ccp and the people's liberation army next summer in july and august during that period you know we, we can expect a, a similar pattern of increased military activities that are designed to both get in practice but also attract international headlines and attention and put pressure on Taiwan, as, as you both mentioned, and a show of strength domestically as well as Xi Jinping, you know, looks to cement his leg- legitimacy further while he seeks a, you know, an unprecedented presidential term there. And then uh, later in the year, in, in end of the year, November, December, we expect the Taiwan, Taiwanese local elections to be held. And, and previously, uh, elections in Taiwan have also coincided with China ramping up some level of public pressure on Taiwan in an effort to dissuade voters from voting for candidates or parties, obviously the DPP, that are, are less open to relations with the mainland. However, I mean, I don't think we can rule out maybe Beijing taking a slightly different tack this time, considering in the presidential elections of 2020, you know, Beijing were was at the forefront of, of that traditional presidential race and pro-Beijing tag hung very heavily on the Beijing's preferred party, Kuomintang, in that race and led to a, a pretty comfortable win for, for Tsai Ing-wen in the, in, in the end. I don't think we could rule out them maybe trying to get into the background a bit more, allowing the focus of the elections uh, to be on, on more local issues, you know, the economy, which, which of course is... It's likely really rocky in, in the next year, like it is for, for most economies, something like this. So this, I don't think we can rule this out, but at the same time, if rhetoric from candidates does go in a, in a direction that is not favourable to Beijing, you know, a stronger stance towards uh, independence, etc., uh, particularly if the DPP win comfortably, uh, we could uh, see, again, China react quite strongly and assertively. Yeah, I mean, interesting ahead. And you mentioned about Xi Jinping seeking what certainly looked at the unprecedented third presidential term. And, and obviously, the big samples for potential, you know, flashpoints in the Taiwan Strait is next autumn's the 20th Communist Party National Congress, which would be you know, likely to confront such moves. So normally, it's, it's an incredibly important uh, political event for China happens every five years and normally ahead of that and there's a lot of uh, movement uh, and preparation both you know in terms of uh, domestic politics security and safety foreign policy economics all geared up for for, for for such events that's definitely something to watch out for and and also I'll go along and bring your assessment on the uh, you know the potential flashpoint for the Taiwanese local elections. You know previously, uh, as you mentioned, Beijing uh, tried to use intimidation but failed. Actually, generated more vote for the Green Camp uh, led by the DPP, and it could potentially resort to more hardline policies and activities. After the, the local election, if DPP turns out to be a resounding uh, victory, 
So Jack, what was your thoughts on the outlook in Taiwan's、uh, political calendar, particularly the local elections next year? Yeah, I just wanted to add two other events first that I think will be critical. It's first of all the、uh, resolution on whether China or Taiwan or both will be joining the CPTPP. They both applied recently. Taiwan submitted its application just a few days after China. I think it's unlikely they'll both be allowed to join. And obviously, if China does join, it will prevent Taiwan from joining. But if Taiwan is prioritized,、uh, I think that will be a, a major event,、uh, a change in the status quo, and a, a large provocation for China. That's something to look out for. Similarly, the Taiwan's application or ongoing application, I should say,、uh, to join the WHO, that has gained much more ground, particularly in light of the pandemic, and has now gotten strong support internationally, also from the US, in particular. If that does go ahead again, it will be another provocation for、uh, China, and I think they'll be expected to respond、uh, quite forcefully. Yeah, in terms of local elections, yeah, I think again, not looking good in terms of the harmonious element in、uh, in prostrate relations continuing, if there ever was one. The Kuomintang、um, KMT party, which is usually、uh, has better relations with China. Fare very poorly in the national elections、uh, to the point where it's on the brink of collapse. It's now trying to reformulate itself, move away from its more pro-China、um, traditional base, and capture some of the younger voters. However, it still remains remains heavily seen in that light, and has been unable to escape its poor form in、um, uh, last national elections. Even though, as for most countries, it's expected that you get a slight swing towards the opposition. In the local elections, I think it's unlikely there'll be a major swing,、uh, just because、uh, a the DPP, the current incumbent party, has done so well recently、um, in terms of first of all its, its handling of the pandemic, despite the slight blip in the middle, but also seeing as putting up a very strong and assertive stance against China. I think that's been majorly popular, whereas the KMT hasn't seemed to have failed there. Other parties again might do well in the local elections. I think are also in slightly disarray. You have the New People's Power Party that's largely ineffective now due to、uh, factionalism, and various other local parties. Again, they may get、uh, get a few seats here and there, but nothing major. So I think it will be.、Uh, it's expected the DPP will largely do very well. I think going forward throughout the rest of this year, there is concern, as Aidan mentioned, that with The third term potentially of Xi Jinping starting, that he'll want to make real progress on Taiwan, and particularly if he feels the time is running out, you have to be hesitant in、uh, being too alarmist. So, as a number of people in the、uh, various parts of the U.S. military have been, I think actually what we mentioned earlier about the fact that Xi Jinping, in his speech on the on the National Day, was hesitant to say, which is a very common and formulaic. Uh, sentences they usually features in these speeches, saying that they're that you know they're willing to、uh, proceed through peaceful means, but won't write off the use of force. The fact that he didn't say that, I think, shows that after、um, a record incursion into the ADIZ of Taiwan,、um, they are、uh, hesitant to provocation towards Taiwan. And I think that, particularly in terms of、uh, their international perception at the moment, they've been. Very concerned about、uh, the coronavirus and the damage that has done to、um, their soft power internationally, and so I think going beyond any kind of or their current actions will, will be unlikely.、Uh, and it and it should also be considered that it was their national day, and they're always expected to do some more grandiose type、um, action on that. Even though I think it is important to say that this was a significant jump 
uh, in the number of planes from it was steadily increasing over the past two years or so but you know it had been going steadily through the the, the 20s onto the early 30s and suddenly we've got an incursion of i think it was 56 this time so there is definitely it's definitely something to be aware of but i would be hesitant in, in being too alarmed yeah uh, i'll definitely second that uh, that i mean following on from that you know if we all agree that a full-blown um, conflict remains highly unlikely that beijing is not looking to take over the island by force in the near term, given the, as you mentioned, the, the very, very high economic uh, political costs, not to mention the unimaginable diplomatic fallout. How would this enduring tensions between China and Taiwan may impact regional uh, security and business operations? I mean, like uh, you both mentioned, uh... You know, economic coercion and, and, and an attempt to economically isolate Taiwan has been an ongoing policy from uh, Beijing, and we definitely expect that to continue. Uh, and it's probably possibly their most effective policy to um, to push Taiwan um, closer to China eventually. Uh, Jack mentioned the CPTPP, which is the successor to the trans, what was proposed Trans-Pacific Partnership, and and you know, the, the, both China and Taiwan confirmed uh, their applications to, to this trade block uh, in, in the same week, which, again, is unlikely to be a coincidence. As Jack mentioned, it's, it's also unlikely that they both can join. Uh, while on one hand, Taiwan is is more likely to, to meet eligibility of, of what is a, a higher level uh, trade agreement than, and then a, a normal free trade agreement. That it will be hard for many of the economies we're already in, many, many of the members or, of or the partnership already to turn down or the, the ability or the access to China's market, which is it's so much larger than Taiwan, of course. Plus, I'd be very surprised if uh, Beijing isn't putting um, pressure on the members to to not accept Taiwan and accept China. So that that's one one effort to to isolate them economically. Other than that, you, you mentioned bans on imports. We also have pressure on companies that are operating in Taiwan or uh, sometimes international companies or how they show sometimes Taiwan. Uh, does Taiwan get treated as an independent country in uh, official company uh, communications, for example? We've seen Taiwan getting included as a separate entity in, in websites and that come under huge scrutiny from, from sometimes the Chinese public or, or, or government agencies. And, and this has led to to a situation where firms feel like they, they need to choose between the two. And of course, uh, most firms aiming to maximize profits uh, naturally often choose China. And we can expect that these tactics, I think, to continue to try and, and put a different uh, type of pressure on Taiwan, uh, along with the military pressure that we've been talking about already, to try and make it seem like becoming more uh, or closer to China or have a, a more normalized relationship with China is actually uh, the best result for the economy there. Um, so uh, that's uh, that's going to definitely going to be an ongoing uh, strategy from Beijing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was an interesting point you mentioned about this scrutiny from uh, most, mostly from the Chinese side, how companies' public stance regarding Taiwan, you know, even trivial points like what you mentioned about website listing Taiwan along with other countries that become highly frowned upon if not being punished by regulatory bodies. You know, there's incidents of, uh, you know, several big uh, international 
uh, company's website got uh, shut down by China's uh, internet regulators, um, asking them then to change place in Taiwan and uh, or us, you know, uh, China, Taiwan, or something similar. So, and they also uh, faced um, a, a backlash from an increasingly national um, nationalistic audience in China. So, yeah, that's a, that's the definitely something that a trend that will probably gonna continue ahead. And there's also, as Jack mentioned earlier, a lot of um, uh, Taiwanese companies become more worried, if not uh, concerned. By the ongoing tensions, by the um, uh, you know China's more aggressive uh, stance towards Taiwan, and and these company has enormous presence in China and established um, a very well integrated supply chain across the street. So if anything goes wrong there, um, in terms of uh, you know uh, military provocation, it could have enormous impact on their on their operations and logistics. We have that part as well. And on that, lastly, Jack, you mentioned about, you know, Beijing's always going to likely continue to apply uh, military uh, intimidation and sometimes coincide with important political dates and occasions. We certainly seen extensive uh, military buildup in the area, not just from from China, but also we've seen U.S. allies has uh, committed more assets in the region and conducted more exercises. So that brings up the risk of a potential you know, accidental skirmish or, or, or a naval standoff. Granted, this is still gonna be a very sort of a worst case scenario in our view, of what sort of potential business implication that would uh, sort of uh, be if we head up towards that you know, um, direction. Uh, so before I speak to that, we wanted to add a slightly contrarian point on the um, on the last topic. Uh, my view is, is that Taiwan has actually done uh, fairly well out, out of the uh, recent escalation in, um, in tensions. As I mentioned at the very beginning, it started with the 31 measures that uh, China released in order to try and attract business, which failed uh, largely. You've had a steady movement of uh, Taiwanese business from the mainland back to Taiwan, Things like, for instance, the ban on pineapples, um, which we mentioned also at the very beginning, uh, backfired. They have now been, there's been a, a movement amongst Taiwanese allies, Japan, Australia, to buy more pineapples, and they're actually selling more than they were to China now. Similarly, we were talking about these large companies that are based in China. Semiconductor industry, of course, is a key industry for, for Taiwan. China is under uh, huge pressure at the moment because it doesn't have the uh, native ability to fully uh, supply its industries from uh, for semiconductors and still relies on, on imports. The U.S. is now talking about cutting off China from the supplier chain, which is worrying China greatly. Large Taiwanese companies like Honghai, Foxconn, which is a major supplier of uh, Apple, They've just announced that they're uh, now opening their largest factory ever in the U.S. Uh, and again, have continued to move a number of operations back from China to Taiwan. So I think for the first time, Taiwan has found a way to make China suffer. Uh, I think China is aware of this and there's, there's concern. And, you, you know, you have to remember it's uh, how vehemently it reacted to talks of isolating China from the world economy uh, under the Trump administration. So it's definitely very vulnerable to this type of thing. So, yes, I just wanted to add that point. I think that there is there is definitely um, hope for Taiwan and it has done well recently, given that its allies are being supported. 
Of course, uh, to the second question, of, of if we get to a situation of, uh, of anything close to a military conflict or even a standoff, first thing to remember is that the uh, South China Sea is one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. The uh, majority of uh, freight from Asia going towards Europe goes through there. Any kind of disturbance would be a huge impact uh, on businesses across the world. A, a good example it's not to do with conflict, but a good example at the moment is that of the, the backlog in Chinese ports, um, which is due to other reasons, but the, the, the effect that it's having across the world on supply chains just goes to show how important those links are and how integrated China is with the rest of the world economy. The concern uh, for China at the moment is the, uh, the balance in power. Since about the uh, maybe 80s, early 90s, the balance has shifted in, in China's favor, and it knows that, and it wants to maintain that. China, uh, Taiwan has now um, embarked on a new policy of, a, uh, uh, they call it the prickly porcupine, it's essentially um, trying to make it too costly for, for China to attack. Um, so they're using things like um, uh, grid warfare, asymmetric warfare, those type of things in order to achieve this. There was, of course, the record uh, arms deal during the Trump uh, era, I think for about 300 million. And then there was a second one after that. Biden has shown that he's willing to continue these arms deals. If Taiwan continues to be have access to these arms, I'm sure it will start to threaten that balance in power. And the worry then is that China feels that it's, it's losing its window. And if it does feel that, it then may be pushed to do, to do something. The current understanding from is that there would never be, or at least it would be very unlikely that there would be a direct attack on the Taiwan mainland. If China was to do anything, it's largely understood that they would try to attack the, the Dongsha Islands, which are the ones uh, closest to the Chinese mainland, and they would use those as a bargaining chip. So they may, for instance, it's one of the islands which is uh, directly opposite uh, Fujian province in China. Um, it's only a couple of kilometers away. It would be very easy for China to occupy that and then use that uh, prime pressure on the, China, on the Taiwanese government uh, in order to achieve some kind of diplomatic solution. If that were the case, and it remained uh, under those guises, then, then the impact might be fairly small. But again, if, it, if, if conflict were to spread into the South China Sea, into the Taiwan Strait, that's where the real problem lies, and that would have a great impact on international shipping. So it looks like we will have a busy year ahead next year with the, the Beijing Olympics, CCP Party Congress, the competing narratives to join the regional uh, trade parks and the Taiwanese uh, local elections. And so that means, um, you know, choppy waters in the Taiwan Strait. But we'll, uh, through that, it, it will bring, you know, both risks and, as Jack mentioned, uh, potential opportunities for, uh, for various businesses and sectors. Um, so, yeah, so interesting uh, time ahead. Okay, coming next. We have easy to go through what's going to be on our radar in terms of uh, events to watch for the next uh, next week or so. Looking at the week ahead, Cape Verde have their presidential elections on the 17th of October, where demonstrations and clashes between supporters and opposition groups are likely during both the campaign and the election day. These mobilizations may result in the increased deployment of security forces causing the potential disruptions to travel and movements of goods. Meanwhile, in Argentina, on Monday the 18th, activists associated with the General Confederation of Labour and other workers' unions 
are set to hold a mass demonstration to commemorate the 76th anniversary of the Peronist Loyalty Day. These demonstrations plan to occur at 2 p.m. at the intersection of Avenida Independencia and Avenida Defensa in the San Talmo neighborhood, where they will then march to the nearby monument del Trabajo. This event is expected to draw large numbers of participants, so localised transport disruptions are expected along the march routes. And despite these numbers, however, clashes with security forces are very unlikely, given that the government have explicitly stated their support for the demonstration. And also on the 18th of October, the European Union will hold a foreign affairs council meeting in which the ministers will discuss migration, the crisis of Afghanistan, as well as the proposal to set up a, an European Re Reaction Force unit of around 5,000 troops. And finally, Russia has, invent, um, has invited the Taliban to attend a high-level international talk on the future of Afghanistan, which will take place on the 20th of this month. These talks reflect the increasingly pragmatic relations between the two sides. However, there are still enduring tensions and concerns that the situation is exacerbating Islamist radicalism risks across the region, especially including Russia. And that concludes the forecast for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you like more information, please do not hesitate to contact us at info at